you know, I can teach the fundamentals of movement in a phys ed class, like the fundamentals of language are taught in an English language arts classroom. But if students don't have the opportunity to practice those fundamental movements beyond a phys ed class or beyond recess, the likelihood that they'll become proficient at them will, you know, will greatly decrease. Hi folks, the pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. Today's conversation will dive into movement, positive environments, and school cultures, and how we as educators might get our students more active in the school environment. Chris Fenlon-McDonald will join us shortly to share his expertise with us. Before we dive in, we want to situate our conversation today in the land and our relationships with the land and each other. Our conversation is taking place on the ancestral and traditional territories of the first peoples of the Treaty 7 region. And in the spirit of truth and relationship, we want to honor and acknowledge Mokinstis and the traditional territory and oral practices of the Blackfoot Confederacy, including Siksiga, Gaina, and Bikani, the Sutina, the Iyehe Nakoda Nations, and the Métis Nation Region 3. We come into this conversation with gratitude for the caretakers of the land and those who share and contribute to the land, including the four-legged, two-legged, the finned, the feathered, the crawlers, the trees, the plants, water, sun, and the moon. We're so grateful for the stewardship, the teachings, and the efforts of the elders, traditional knowledge keepers, the youth, and those who continue to protect the landways, waterways, and airways, as well as the language, ceremonies, and culture. And it's so important for us to always situate ourselves within the land, the histories of the land, and our place and relationship with the land. So we'd just like to remind our listeners that podcast learning is mobile. With this, we hope you take your time listening to nurture your own well-being in ways that feel best for you. Given that our episode today focuses on movement-positive cultures and environments, we invite you to find ways to get moving creatively within the comfort of your own home, using your space in ways that you might not normally use your space. With that, I'd like to welcome Chris to PodClass. Thank you so much, Chris, for being here. And as our listeners are thinking about ways to tend to their wellness, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, starting us off by sharing some of your favorite ways to nurture your own wellness and well-being. For sure. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. I think uh, first and foremost is just getting outside. Um, I love to spend time with my family and friends. Obviously, right now, that's a bit challenging from time to time. But being in the mountains, ski touring, mountain biking, uh, hiking, uh, and more recently, just getting out on long endurance rides on my road bike um, is is just things that really uh, fill me up. And they they really support my emotional, my mental, uh, my social well-being. So uh, for our listeners today, even get out of your house if you can and, and go for a walk outside in nature. And um, yeah, hopefully you can take something from this. Absolutely. Fantastic and, and very interesting ways to stay um, active and well. I'm wondering how you stay. Do you bike ride in the winter or uh, is that something that you have to kind of set aside when the snow and the ice comes in? 
so I haven't started winter biking. I'd like to. Um, I'm, I, I don't want to admit that I'm a fair weather adventurer. I don't think that I am. But biking is one that I just haven't uh, I haven't taken too much in the winter. If the, the sun's shining, I'll get out on my bike. If the roads are clear, the uh, the trails are clear. I've done some winter riding, uh, but but very few. So I'm envious of those that uh, that make it happen. And maybe that's something that I'll explore uh, further into this season. Absolutely. And I'm totally with you there. There's something about bike riding that just feels and maybe it's just a, a bit more of a comfort in the sunshine um, and, and feeling the cool wind and not the freezing wind. But any case, I figured I would ask. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Chris, you're currently a specialist uh, who's responsible for physical education, health, career and life management and comprehensive school health for the Calgary Board of Education. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your background and how you ended up in your role uh, today? For sure. Uh, so first and foremost, I'm a father of two active and adventurous young girls that uh, keep me busy, which is fantastic. From a teaching perspective, I began teaching in an elementary setting, uh, teaching grade three initially. Uh, I was very fortunate to loop with a lot of my students into grade four, and then eventually found my way into teaching phys ed for a K to three school. And that's really where I found a passion for school health promotion and the benefits of comprehensive school health. Uh, most of my experience, I'd say, is in an elementary setting. Uh, just recently, I did a short period of time teaching in a K-9 school where I had some opportunities to teach some junior high students, which was fantastic. Um, and even for a period of time, I was very fortunate to be seconded to Everactive Schools before I came back into the Calgary Board of Education. So, yeah, right now I'm the specialist within our board responsible for the, you know, those areas that you had mentioned. Uh, and it's an opportunity to take all the lessons that I've learned in those experiences with Everactive Schools, uh, but really focus them in one school jurisdiction and, and all of our schools within the Calgary Board. Fantastic. So what about your experiences in school and school environments led you to this place of adding physical activity and movement into your teaching practice? I don't know that I can sum it up to a few experiences. And I, I you know, in preparing for this, it was really hard in some ways to figure out where did this notion kind of take place. But I think it's really I love the energy and the excitement that students brought with them when they came to my phys ed classes. And it made me realize how important early positive physical activity experiences are for children. So I think I began at that point maybe to notice in some cases and maybe broadly speaking that there were some gaps in how we understood physical activity in schools. You know, the general understanding was that physical activity belonged in, in phys ed and at recess. And maybe over time I realized that it can live throughout the school and it's almost critical that it lives throughout the school for, uh, for the health of the school, for the, the benefit of the students, but also for the benefit of the teachers, uh, and yeah, and that school culture. You know, I appreciate you saying that because my background as a teacher is in social studies and English language arts. And I've even, you know, done a little bit of options and math teaching as well at the junior high and high school level. And a lot of the times, you know, that I don't know if it's intentionally built into the culture, but it becomes kind of the norm that we see movement and activity, even like the notion of health as belonging under the umbrella or to the purview of the physical education teachers or reserved to only particular spaces in schools. And I think this is even more predominant at the junior high and high school level. I think in elementary, maybe there's a little bit more wiggle room and in elementary teachers are really creative in how they um use their environments and and build their days with their students. So unfortunately, you know, these assumptions continue to prevail 
I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit more why it's the responsibility of all teachers at all division levels to take up this work, no matter what their subject area is. You know, this has been changing for some time now, and I think teaching pedagogy has been developing to really embrace physical activity as learning uh, and crucial to learning and not just a break from learning. Um, maybe one of the best examples, um, maybe not the best example, but an example I can share is just that, you know, this concept of movement breaks, I think that movement breaks are broken. And it's a bit of a bold statement. I know that. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for physical activity in classrooms and throughout a student's school day. But if we need to have a break to move, uh, I think we might be sending the wrong message to our students. Subconsciously, I think we're saying that activity needs to be a separate component of our day and that we prioritize learning over physical activity. And we know that, you know, movement only enhances learning. And maybe scientifically speaking, we, we know that we need to move in order to learn. Uh, so, you know, that's just one, one thing to maybe think about and even just how important language is. Uh, if we say, you know, we're going to take a movement break, it maybe reinforces some of that. You know, I could ask a question when we talk about language, where does learning happen? And I think Obviously, learning happens everywhere, but I think if we said, where does learning happen in a school, the vast majority of people would say, well, learning happens in classrooms, which, you know, we, we totally agree. And maybe in, in education, a common term that we've heard is this, this term classroom teacher. And I think by its nature, that might suggest to some that learning only occurs in a traditional classroom. And, you know, just further build on this concept that many of us would hear the term classroom teacher and understand it to exclude teachers like myself as a phys ed teacher or a music teacher. But really, I'm also a classroom teacher. It's just that my classroom is very large by contrast. And we need to value physical activity as we do other aspects of a student's typical school day. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. But just trying to take the understanding of physical activity and equate it to learning and the importance of learning and that it, it shouldn't happen separate to learning. Maybe another example, Jamie, is just, you know, literacy. Um, this concept of listening, reading, writing, speaking, uh, and more so, you know, I, I hopped into the English language arts program of studies in the front matter and just as the responsibility for language learning is shared by students, parents, teachers, and the community. And I think that's cool because it's so true that we really need everybody and our environments to play a role in fostering and developing language and it's true intentionally or not that you know students are inundated with opportunities to listen read write speak across their entire day whether they're at home whether they're at school they're reading billboards they're interpreting text messages they're reading books all around them they're surrounded by opportunities to to develop their language but the same maybe isn't true around physical activity. Broadly speaking, you're right, we've reserved these opportunities for physical activity to live only within physical education classes and at recess. And, you know, I can teach the fundamentals of movement in a phys ed class, like the fundamentals of language are taught in an English language arts classroom. But if students don't have the opportunity to practice those fundamental movements beyond a phys ed class or beyond recess, the likelihood that they'll be come proficient at them will, you know, will greatly decrease. And, and just imagine that you didn't have a proficiency of language. You know, what does this do to your confidence to speak or write or interact with others? It greatly inhibits our success. And the same could be said around physical activity. If you don't have the opportunities to practice these fundamentals everywhere you go, 
your confidence and your willingness to participate in physical activity also decreases significantly. So really, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, a culture of movement, um, a whole school culture that really needs to foster physical activity. Absolutely. That's a really powerful invitation. And I like that you borrowed that language from the, the ELA program of studies, but it's a powerful invitation for us all to take responsibility uh, for supporting our children, our youth in practicing those physical or that physical literacy in those different environments. And I hear us kind of not just even alluding to this kind of breaking down of barriers between the classroom and the whole school environment. And I say breaking down of barriers, not literally, but like thinking beyond those four walls of the classroom into the whole school environment. And I hear you also saying, you know, like we need to continue to break down these notions that all of our subject areas are somehow separate and distinct when we see a fluidity throughout the day in how we practice and support and provide opportunities to develop that knowledge and those skills and that understanding. So um, I think you highlight just like a really important conversation that's currently happening in schools about interdisciplinarity, but also this notion that teachers uh, themselves have this power to open up their practice beyond subject area and kind of center the whole student within their practices as well. So you spoke about this earlier about movement breaks being broken. And I think uh, for many teachers, a starting place for bringing movement into the classroom is through that idea of body breaks or energizers. Uh, and we know that that in itself is not like bad. It's a great starting point. But like you said, that's not the only way we can do things because we unintentionally reinforce the notion that uh, the body is separate from the mind and physical activity is separate from learning. So how can we get beyond just like interrupting the way that we teach by including these pieces to integrating movement into our pedagogical practices and our lessons themselves? Yeah, you make a great point. Like it is a starting point and it's, you know, it's fantastic and it's a step in the right direction. Having body breaks, movement breaks, um, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It, it is really a foundation and it's an opportunity to experiment, I think. And, you know, the best way to integrate some of these movement opportunities into lessons is really to have a vision for a, a culture that values physical activity across the entire school day. And it's almost the concept of like, chicken or the egg. So, you know, are we going to have a, a whole school environment that values physical activity? Uh, and then eventually we'll have classrooms that are integrating physical activity in, into their lessons, into the students day to day? Or do we start with classrooms and then eventually it shifts into a, you know, a whole school culture? I don't know what the answer is there, but, um, you know, activity permissive learning environments or these movement positive school cultures, these are just ways to identify cultures that really value and prioritize physical activity and the benefits that it has to, to whole child development. Uh, certainly creating a school culture that values physical activity across a student's day is a, is a big challenge. Um, and it, but it does start with just incorporating small amounts into our, you know, into our classrooms, into our lessons. I think the success of small examples uh, slowly starts to percolate across an entire school. So honestly, demonstrating some of these ideas at a staff meeting, maybe is one of the best ways to introduce these concepts to others. And then it'll, you know, eventually it'll grow across an entire school community. But, you know, if I'm thinking about my classrooms, if I'm thinking about, you know, teaching a math lesson and, you know, certainly these are 
easier or maybe we feel these are easier concepts with younger students but i feel that they can be done with our our older students as well they just need to be fostered they need to be taught but having opportunities to vote with our feet like getting students up out of desks moving around into corners of classrooms having conversations something as simple as that little bit of physical activity supports learning even walk and talks like you know, starting your lesson with a central question. What are we going to talk about today? It's almost a, an observation opportunity for some baseline understanding of where students are at. Grab a partner, put a question on the board, grab your coats, let's get outside, let's walk around the, uh, the field, let's walk around the school, let's talk about this question, let's find another partner, what do they think about it? These small little examples really foster this culture in our classrooms and then eventually our school that it's okay to move. It's okay to be untraditional in the ways that we teach and incorporate movement into our teaching. And really, you know, it's going to benefit us as teachers and the students learning and the students themselves uh, in the long run. And, you know, maybe if you, if you have opportunity or if you're, you know, you've got some more flexibilities, even redesigning our classrooms. Easier said than done, absolutely, but removing some of the desks and, you know, putting in some standing desks, putting in some couches or some places for students to sit in the corner on the ground. You know, it's not a high school chemistry classroom, absolutely. But if we look at the way classrooms are designed, they, you know, they haven't changed much over the past hundred years. They look by far and large very similar with, you know, desks, teacher at the front, and I know those are broad statements because there's examples, you know, across the, the province and across the world of awesome classrooms that are really pushing the boundaries of what a classroom looks like and it's benefiting students. But if you have the opportunity, even in, include students into what does their ideal classroom look like? It, it looks comfortable. It looks like a place where they can, you know, take their learning from one space to another space. Even that little bit of movement really supports their overall learning. You're right. There are those examples out there. Unfortunately, and maybe maybe I'm making too broad of a statement too. Unfortunately, I think that there are more outliers than the norm. I think, you know, when we're speaking to pre-service teachers where we can take this opportunity to really invite folks to explore those different pieces. And um, even if we're coming into a classroom that's not our own, there's so much that you can do within that space that, like you say, doesn't fall into that representation of the classroom as desks, teacher at front, and and those kind of power dynamics. So I really appreciate you sharing those examples. And I think, um, you know, even in my own experience, although it's really helpful to have administration kind of set the tone for the whole school and, and build that movement positivity into like staff meetings, uh, it's also great when you're in the classroom to see folks out in the hallway doing really interesting things. And, and that also can invite, you know, further conversations or learning, uh, even bringing your own classroom into the hallways or into the school or outside can start those conversations as well and, and even can work towards it. So even though it feels like that chicken egg situation, I, I appreciate you laying out those different opportunities for our listeners, whether they're pre-service or in-service, to think a little differently about how to incorporate movement intentionally and not as like a separate part of learning or separate from learning. And, you know, when we think about our classroom, like I, you know, just as you were, you were speaking there, it reminded me like my classroom, yes, it's those four walls, but, you know, maybe we can shift the understanding of what our classroom is. Our classroom is the entire school property or the, the entire community. Like the learning really can happen anywhere. 
you know, just taking your students outside and sitting under a tree and doing some math or, you know, some reading or reflection, the benefits that I have certainly just from the physical activity point of view, but then there's a whole host of other benefits of, you know, being outside sunshine and, and nature and fresh air and just getting out of the confines of our classroom and rethinking what our, uh, what defines our classroom, I think is a, you know, a good step. That's huge. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you worked with Everactive Schools before as the education coordinator, which meant you were kind of all over the province, um, working with schools, working with teachers, administrators. In your experience, can you tell us about some of the best ways you've seen physical activity incorporated in classrooms across the province? Yeah, some, and I was trying to think of some like particular examples and they, I mean, some of them certainly start yeah. to blend. There's jurisdictions everywhere that are doing a fantastic job at really encouraging. I think the best examples really stem from teachers that are, you know, confident and have a relationship with their school admin and their colleagues mm. to experiment and not to be afraid to fail and to just try things out. And I think for, you know, for pre-service teachers, especially that are listening, the best thing I think you could do is just have a conversation with your supervising teacher and the school admin just to, you know, tell them what you want to try to do, the reasons that you're trying to do it. We often look, you know, right or wrong, we look sometimes at students or groups of students that are going outside and we're quick to make these judgments that, oh, they're, they're not going outside to learn. It's just that learning again only happens in the classroom. But don't be afraid to, to try things and yeah, I, I think the success that'll come from that is pretty significant. So I know I'm not maybe not getting to to the root of the question about specific examples, but the the schools that are really trying to be innovative of utilizing hallways and common spaces and learning commons and creating outdoor classrooms, uh, those are the ones that are uh, excelling in these areas. And I think you bring a great point as well, like it's going to look different in different places and it's going to work differently for different school cultures. But a great starting place is just having those conversations and building those relationships. We've talked a lot, you know, throughout this podcast, throughout our different episodes about the importance of relationships and relationality. And I think sometimes the barriers that teachers experience when it comes to incorporating physical movement is exactly what you said they had there's misnomers about what it means or people are misconstruing what a teacher is doing when they're taking their classes outside maybe administrators aren't sure and and having these conversations is a really great point because when we're talking about like activity permissive or or permission that positive school culture and positive view around physical movement no matter the space or the place uh, as important to learning, I think begins with those conversations. And then from those conversations can take a different form, whether it's classroom teachers kind of taking on the the bulk of that work, or whether it's, you know, whole school culture transformation. But um, those conversations are often for us a starting point in beginning to shift those paradigms uh, that are necessary to, to kind of shift to be able to try uh, these new strategies, new pedagogies, and then also to shift those larger and more kind of dominant paradigms about what it means to to learn and how learning takes place in schools. Totally. Think about a door, like, you know, doors into a gymnasium as an example, and not to use a gymnasium as an example for activity here. I'm just really referencing the built environment and the influence that space has on us. If one of those doors is propped open, we automatically walk through the open door. We don't push open the closed door. 
Like the environment is already set up for us to act in a certain way. So if our school environments are set up in a particular way to help us act in a a way that we want, it becomes so much easier. If we have outdoor classrooms already established, it just becomes that much easier to get outside and, you know, to take the learning into a different environment. If we have open spaces in the school where, you know, maybe the gymnasium's not open, but we have a large common space, I can take my students into that space and incorporate some big movement opportunities into a math lesson or into a language arts lesson. But if I'm confined to a small traditional classroom, for lack of a better term, that's filled with desks, it becomes very difficult to incorporate some of these ideas or concepts. So if the environment is designed in a way to allow it, it just becomes so much easier. Obviously, the environment needs to be intentionally designed to do so, uh, and it does take time. But if it exists, you know, those barriers just, they don't exist as, as often, I guess. I have to say your open door metaphor, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's so simple, but yet so powerful when we think about how, how unconsciously or subconsciously, whatever it is, we are impacted by our environment. And I think even for myself as a teacher, when the teacher's desk is at the front of the room, that's where I find myself. Um, so even just being more intentional about how we're going to use the space, not just like, how can I fit 25 desks into my room? that kind of thing. Like if we're more intentional about our space, then we're inviting ourselves to to do those things without necessarily thinking, which I think is a powerful piece as well. And uh, redesigning that environment, I think is also a great opportunity. I know for some schools, it's a bit challenging, but I think there are many different resources and different ideas. And like you say, some great examples of how we can restructure the built environment to support learning and and encourage movement throughout the day. For sure. I was going to say, I'll steal real quick, just some examples from professional learning that Everactive Schools offers. But, you know, if we look at, think of a grocery store aisle and I go grocery shopping with my, my daughters, less and less now, obviously, but, you know, all the items that they are attracted to are very intentionally set to their (laughs) Um, you know, other industries are very strategic in the design of their environments to a desired outcome. Education can be very similar. Like we can really design our environments to a specific outcome. And if that outcome is more physical activity, we just have to design it as such. If you look at airports the same way with these moving sidewalks, it's not because people are lazy. It's because we need people at their gates. So airplanes are not waiting because if an airplane is waiting, it is late, you know, less time in the air. And ultimately, it costs the airline industry money when when planes aren't in the air. So it's, again, these industries that are very intentional in the outcomes that they want and then creating the built environment to achieve those outcomes. And I think our classrooms can be very similar. If we want to be activity permissive, if we want to have more movement, again, it's going to take some time and some creative ways to do it. But there are some creative opportunities out there and we just have to, to pursue them even the culture shift around what we do already have. And I think what immediately comes to mind is, you know, growing up, not being able to like sit on desks or stand on chairs and, and there being like a culture against that, obviously with safety being a concern. Uh, but I remember doing activities in my junior high classroom where we would have students, you know, step up onto a chair and use that furniture a little bit differently 
have a little bit of movement. And then even the novelty of it is a little bit engaging. So I think even like rethinking how we use the space, of course, our safety of our students uh, is first and foremost. Uh, but I think just taking down some of those restrictions um, that we have already implemented is also a really easy uh, starting point as well. And I think that kind of leads us into this next question, which for many of us who've gone through the school system, we know that things are changing now, but oftentimes we teach how we were taught. And for many of us, like these restrictions are pervasive throughout the school environment, things like don't run in the hallways, um, walk quietly, walk in a straight line. So much of those restrictions are embedded into kind of the way we do things in schools. So as teachers are working to incorporate more movement into their classroom spaces, what advice or strategies can you offer for advocating for that change within the whole school environment? And, you know, how might we begin that work of starting conversations and then also teaching by showing how we can shift the school culture towards those movement positive environments? Totally. You know, one example that comes to mind and I, you know, my belief in understanding has been an evolution of all my years of teaching. It's, it's not that I began teaching and I was like, Hey, you know, there's a lack of physical activity or culture isn't supportive of physical activity. It's, you know, this whole gamut of uh, experiences that got me to, you know, feel or see the way that I see education and see schools. And, and one example that I, stumbled upon and maybe no pun intended, but was this initiative or this idea that, you know, some people have heard of called don't walk in the hallway. And I had attended a professional learning opportunity by now a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Dean Krelars, and he was talking about the development of physical literacy uh, and in particular turning these passive environments in our school uh, spaces that we're not actively using into very active spaces. And the hallway was one of those. And I came back and I was teaching phys ed at the time. And I came back to my school, uh, briefly talked to my administrator and my caretaker. And I threw some green painters tape down on the floor in a hopscotch pattern. And when students were leaving the gymnasium, I just sat there with my phone and I videoed what they were going to do when they saw this. And the first couple students, you know, weren't necessarily paying attention to the floor. And then all of a sudden, one student spotted this hopscotch pattern on the floor and they stopped in their tracks. The line jumbled all up. <laughs> they, they started hopping through through this hopscotch. And then the person behind them did the same thing. And then, you know, people that were kind of out of line a little bit were like realizing what was going on. So they hopped back in line so they could do it. And that was where this idea or this example or this resource of don't walk in the hallway began. Over time, it you know, we, we raised some some funds, we changed the actual floor tiles in the school, uh, we involved the math specialist to have some, you know, mathematically sound patterns that could be incorporated in some math curriculum. Uh, but we put these patterns throughout the hallway. And we even measured it just to see if there was an increase in, in physical activity. And at the time, we were looking at student step counts, was it increasing the amount of steps that they took in a particular day, and we studied a, a cohort of grade three students. And it increased their overall steps by, I think it was 600, 872 steps. My goodness. It kind of stemmed as well from the idea that, you know, many students didn't walk to school. And there was this metric of students were losing about 2,000 steps a day by not walking to school and being dropped off at school. And then all these other associated health outcomes uh, by not walking to school. So then it was like, you know, and this is a very simplistic version because 
this isn't replacing the outcomes associated with walking to school because there's risk-taking and relationship building and a whole bunch of very deep associations to those opportunities of walking to school. But this was an intent to, to replace the loss amount of physical activity. And it didn't really get there. It didn't get to the 2000. There was a change in, in physical activity behaviors. Uh, there was a decrease in movement during instructional time, which I'm obviously not an advocate for, you know, as we discuss how to increase movement during instructional time, but it maybe spoke to the amount of time on task following about a physical activity. And then though it wasn't as statistically significant, the cadence of students uh, had increased as well throughout the day, um, which might speak to increases in moderate to vigorous physical activity for children. But I remember talking to Dean and I said, we didn't even hit a thousand steps. Like, I don't feel that we've made a, a big difference. And it was Dean who really initiated my understanding around school culture. And he said, yeah, you've made a huge difference. You've started to change the culture of that school. And that's where it like stopped me dead in my tracks and almost spiraled out of control. This, this love or understanding how a physical activity culture can be affected. And it was through this one little initiative that, you know, students and their teachers came out into the classroom, or excuse me, out of the classroom into the hallway to do a math lesson that involved some patterning. Or there were some students that, you know, were a bit fidgety and they needed a little bit of that break because of their environment, that movement break. But they went out into the hallway, they'd hop or jump through these patterns, and then they felt a little bit more regulated and they went back to class and they were able to focus a little bit more. It was this shift and then, you know, the conversation that goes home to, with students to their parents, like, hey, our, like our floors are so different and the excitement that they had. And we'd even see at the time staff hopping through the hallway when they thought nobody was looking. <laughs> um, and ironically, I had just called it don't walk in the hallway, which I think kind of, you know, helped a little bit in terms of the attraction to it or, or like, well, wait a minute, we want children to walk in the hallway. But really, we, the environments of hand on your hip, finger on your lip, straight lines down the hallway, we're changing a little bit. We just taught children to be students, uh, to be safe and respectful and ask those questions to themselves, you know, be critical in their thought. Like, am I being safe right now? Am I being respectful to a, a classroom that has an open door? And we had little problems with this resource and or this these hallway designs. And things were a little bit more orderly in some ways. But, you know, where the value lied is that, and I didn't see it obviously at the time, is that it did change the culture. People uh, saw the relationship between physical activity and learning. Uh, and over time, they started to value it. And I even have had opportunities to go back to the school just to interact. And I did some professional learning there a number of years ago, um, which was several years after we initially changed the, the floor patterns um, or installed patterns in the floor. The excitement for, for students still existed almost to the same way. I, I mean, certainly not to the same degree, but almost in some cases, the same degree as it was when we first installed those floor tiles. So it's the small things that will spread over time. And if you're passionate and don't give up on it and, and share that passion with some colleagues, and we start to see that shift in a school culture. That's phenomenal. And, and you know, when you were originally saying like 800 steps, I was thinking, I mean, I've mostly taught junior high and high school and just the impact that like 800 steps is not much, but for the culture of the junior high and high school level where students really are, um, you know, bums in seats for the better part of their days, 
that opening is is so promising and that shift, like you say, of school culture is so powerful and opens up opportunities for collaboration and and again trickles throughout the whole school to shift that culture. And I think that's just really exciting for our listeners to know that just your small change of how can I shift what it looks like for students to exit my classroom ended up changing the whole school and the culture of the whole school and for, you know, even years after you left. So that's really powerful uh, to reflect on. And again, just like a powerful invitation for us to think a little bit differently about our practices and that even small changes like that can garner massive, significant results. For sure. And, you know, you mentioned junior high and high school students. And um, when we talk about movement, positive culture, like having, you know, daily physical education and even recess, like we, we really associate recess with elementary schools, but recess is just simply a break from learning uh, by definition. And why can't junior high, high school students also have a break from learning and why couldn't we call it recess? And I, I know these are, you know, it, it's very easy and very simplistic to say, and there's a whole host of challenges associated with that, but giving students an opportunity, it's just natural for us to move. It's, you know, it's even the first language we ever learned was movement. We're born with it. And, I, you know, I, I think we can foster it. It's just a matter of uh, creating those environments. So yes, the examples, you know, some of the examples that I shared are maybe more readily and easily accessible to schools with younger students. Uh, the same can be said for junior high and high schools, given the opportunity. Absolutely. And that's an important, I think, myth that you're addressing around recess, like that all all of a sudden that when students hit a certain grade, they need to spend even more time on learning and less time moving when the reality is, and we know this, that uh, movement improves learning at all ages, including well into adulthood, which is why for many of us as teachers have to, you know, have our own movement breaks. So I I think that's an important myth to bust. And I think it is important for us to rethink what that looks like and how recess or intentional breaks can be offered to those older students to allow opportunities for movement, relationships, socializing, all of those things that they still need and that don't just automatically kind of go away when you when you hit a particular grade level. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important reminder. Um, so we, you've given us tons of examples of what this can look like in the school environment. We're thinking about our pre-service and in-service teachers who are listening what is something that they could do, you know, tomorrow to add more physical activity to their classrooms or their lessons? Uh, take your students outside. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, it's simple, it's profound. And I'll, I'll be honest, like early on in my teaching career, I was, I was hesitant to take my students outside because there were no boundaries. It's so much easier to control a classroom of students inside when there's four walls and taking them outside, it was daunting. But the benefits that it has and and has had on my teaching and hopefully my students learning has been pretty significant. And, you know, we just need to teach how or what the expectations are in these new and novel environments. Um, But yeah, you know, I think the easiest thing for us to do is just to simply take our students outside uh, and move our lessons outside because quickly we become accustomed to the environment and we see the environment as an extension of our classroom. And if, if we're talking, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a curriculum example, but maybe I can't get right to the curriculum. But if I just said, hey, like everybody go find six 
items, all of a sudden children, students just, you know, out they go, they find six items, they bring these six items back. But if you were to say that in traditional classroom, four-walled classroom, you know, as simplistic as this is, the amount of physical activity or steps that they would get would be significantly limited by contrast of being outside. So, you know, yeah, the simplest I think would be, would be going outside. Again, start the day with a bit of a discussion, a walk and talk, or just simply start the day with a walk just because it's a, you know, a beautiful opportunity to go for a walk and just for the simple uh, joy of it, I think. Maybe not even to have it associated with learning necessarily, but just to get out and just enjoy movement. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And we know our students are always asking us to do that. So rather than saying no or not today or we don't have time, I think uh, just giving that space and giving that time to be outside and then um, finding opportunities to connect through conversation or, or activity that learning to the outside environment, I think is such a great way to start to build comfort yourself as an, as an educator and promoting uh, more physical activity and movement in learning. And then I guess the final question, like, do you have any recommendations, uh, resources for our listeners who are looking to either, you know, take their movement breaks to the next level, move away from movement breaks and incorporate movement into their classroom or, you know, find some new furniture for their classrooms to create a more movement invitational environment? For sure. I think, you know, social media is probably undervalued in some respects. There is a lot of excellent content, uh, educational opportunities to to connect with others that are doing some fantastic things in their classroom. So maybe starting there and, and kind of exploring uh, through social media. But then, you know, the simple ones, I, I just want to list organizations like Everactive Schools, the Be Fit for Life Network, Active for Life, the Health and Phys- Physical Education Council of Alberta. Those are huge resources. But maybe to extend that even further, you can't replace the human contact. So call somebody at those organizations and say, hey, who can I speak to about this? And this might be a movement positive idea, physical activity, culture, incorporating movement into classrooms, or it might be something else. But, you know, in my experiences, I can tell listeners firsthand that there is just a wealth of knowledge that exists beyond the websites that, that these organizations have. So start with those organizations as a resource, but then then try to connect with a human on the other side of it because they are there's just so much information that they're able to share and you'll get so much more through a conversation than reading an article. So I, that would be my advice in terms of of resources and I think those ones and and you know I'm probably missing some which I'm going to feel terrible about afterwards but I would go to those ones and then I'd try to connect with the people behind the organizations because that's where the, all the, the knowledge and the the content really lies. For sure. And I think teachers are already doing this great work and building relationships with those teachers uh, is a great starting place. So thank you very much. And, you know, thank you, Chris, for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for joining us for another Conversation on School Health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Thank you to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music. Lastly, but certainly not least, a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at EverActive Schools, or you can visit our website, everactive.org, for more great content and resources, including the ones that Chris mentioned today. 
Until next time, the pod class is dismissed. Yeah.